is the Shelter Island Reporter Podcast, conversations with fascinating people around our island. I'm Susan Carey Dempsey. Today, I'm talking with Carl Grossman, co-author of a new book, Cold War Long Island. It's a discussion you'll want to hear. I'm so grateful to have you with me today and, and for our listeners to get a chance to uh, hear directly from you. Uh, they know you. Most of the Shelter Island Reporter readers would know you from the column Suffolk Close Up. And your whole professional career, I believe, has been spent covering Long Island. You've also um, been a teacher. You're currently a teacher, SUNY West, Old Westbury, correct? Yes, yes. And I've, indeed, I've been a journalist on Long Island, now would you believe this, since 1962. It's just not very possible to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll accept that premise. Um, and I, I know, you're, you're, you know you've won awards and you're really known for following uh, the truth in politics, in government, and certainly in environmental affairs with a very special focus on nuclear power and the concerns about the threat it poses, not only to Long Island, but to our planet. And I think that's an underlying theme of the book. The book is um, Cold War Long Island. It's incredible. The, uh, you have a co-author, we should list, Christopher Berga, who is a, um, an instructor at Suffolk Community College, covers uh, local and American history. So I think you've, you've collaborated really well on a, a a fascinating book. I think it's, um, is it fair to say that there's a surprising number of people who don't know exactly what we're talking about when we say Cold War? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, our generation. Yeah. The Cold War. I, uh, I, I was, when I was a kid in uh, PS 136 in St. Albans, Queens, a dog tag, because they feared that, um, be a nuclear war and to give all the kids in the New York City schools dog tags was necessary to identify the dead. Oh my goodness. That's, that's gruesome. Well, and, and then truly gruesome, but it, it, it's what we lived through uh, in terms of the cold. We were, we were very aware of it. It was the, the Dr. Strangelove movie, which uh, dramatized the, the insanity. But mm-hmm. my yes. sister, you know, Westbury, I, I think people in general in this country are not, uh, as we were, uh, just so involved and concerned and, and anxious yes. at a nuclear exchange. My students, uh, and again, people in general, I don't think they're that aware that we're so close to still yes. a, a nuclear, I hate to sound so, uh, oh, so get into such scary issues, but we're, we can be involved in a nuclear apocalypse now as we could have been and just by the the skin of our teeth yes during the cold war yes that's that's a phrase that you've used and and have actually done um documentaries that that explain how clearly uh that was a threat and it is a threat and and really cold war the the subtitle would be the threat of nuclear war and then the subtitle for that is you know nuclear annihilation there aren't little nuclear wars um but what's so fascinating is how, how Long Island became such a, a central part of this. Uh, and, and if you can just touch on what the um, military-industrial complex meant as far as the growth in the economy of Long Island from World War II on, 
those big companies were were right here on Long Island. Yeah, but there were many elements in terms of uh, this becoming, uh, well, during World War II, it begins truly uh, an arsenal in terms yeah. of uh, U.S. weaponry. I mean, you have Grumman, both right. in Age and in, in Calverton, and Republic and Fairchild. Uh, we produced all kind of, kind of war plans. We were very deeply involved in, uh, uh, well, again, begins in World War II, and then it just actually expands during the Cold War. Uh, right. Improving, the, improving, so to speak, the technology to make it more uh, efficient, more, more lethal, more deliverable, I guess. Um, again, it's, it's kind of Dr. Strangelove territory. But you, you've done visits to the, the former sites of the, the bases that were actually in you know, places like Rocky Point, uh, West Hampton, and describe what, what was stored there, what was, what was ready to be launched from there. Yeah, and, and if anybody wants to see it, because sometimes when I tell the story, it's like too crazy to, uh, right. to absorb, to believe. But the right. documentary you referred to before, it's on YouTube now. I did it 10 years ago the WVVH-TV here on Long Island, the title, Avoiding Nuclear Destruction by the Skin of Our Teeth. And what I did was I went to uh, two of these nuclear-tipped missile bases that were set up on Long Island, in fact, all over Long Island, but I went to the one in Rocky Point, right, right along uh, Route 25, just to the east of William Floyd Parkway. It's now an Army Reserve Center. And one in, in Tony West Hampton. Right there. Which is buildings, 56 individual buildings. Each one held, uh, this is the 50s and the 60s, Bomark missiles. Bomark were the nuclear tip missiles produced by the Air Force. Nike Hercules missile, which is what you had at Rocky Point, produced by the Army. And the deal was we were very concerned about uh, formations of Soviet bombers heading overhead or close to Long Island, going to New York City. So right there, there is going to be a prime target, obviously, New York City. We, you know, we've seen the movies. That's, you know, New York, Washington. Where, where, where would the enemy want to strike? And geographically, <laughs> geographically, Long Island's sitting right there on the way. So someone comes up with this brilliant idea. They'll just shoot the bombers with, with nuclear warheads. Well, with nuclear war, but they couldn't shoot... This is before ground-to-air missiles were really perfected. Uh, so they couldn't hit a bomber individually. So the concept was to use these Nike Hercules and Bomark missiles with nuclear warheads with devastating power uh, on, on their tips. They, they would have the power of the, the Hiroshima bomb. This is hard to comprehend. Almost three times the power of the Hiroshima bomb. And the was that they would be aimed uh, by radar towards the formation of the Soviet bombers coming in, and the warhead would detonate and seemingly, uh, as far as they were concerned, hopefully blow the formation apart. But these were short-range missiles, and they weren't considering the fallout, the nuclear fallout. No, 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 oh, my goodness. From, you know, one of these nuclear tip missiles, all but overhead, it depends where the wind would be blowing from. Oh, well, yes. It would, would, would be absolutely enormous. Uh, Just so, raining down radioactivity on Long Island. Yeah, well, it, 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 
depends where the winds would have, for example, if, if formation was 60, 80 miles to the south and the winds that were blowing towards north, uh, we, we'd get it. Uh, on the other hand, if the winds were blowing to the south, uh, it, but uh, with all the, I mean, again, 56 of these nuclear tip missiles out of the Beaumark base in West Hampton. And then uh, well, you the Rocky Point base, and then they were all over Long Island. These, uh, and also, uh, in terms of Shelter Island, mm-hmm. there were the, the, these nuclear tip missile bases in Connecticut, right across the Sound. Yes, very close. But a lot of missiles and a, a lot of nuclear fallout uh, almost in any direction. Just, you know, again, it sounds unbelievable, but I got the permission of the Army to uh, go to the Rocky Point base. I said I was doing a historical documentary. It was Oh, they love that. So, okay. And, and, and I'm standing there on one of the... Um, People should the, see this, yeah. One of the silos saying, uh, and from and Rocky, uh, the, the West Hampton facility, that's being used, all these little buildings that the Beaumarks would arise from and be sent off. Uh, they're being, a lot of them being used of free computer... Suffolk County government records. And I got permission from the County Department of Public Works to scamper around this. But it's very eerie to be in these. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've watched it. If people could see it, they think about what its its history is. And I don't know if they're even sure if there's any residual uh, radioactivity in these spots. But um, at some point, this just became obsolete, right? It, it wasn't that anybody thought it was such a bad idea. They just moved on to to the next phase and but that doesn't mean that we don't have this this hanging over us in other ways correct well the, the next phase is is problematic it's it's the development of intercontinental ballistic missiles right we have we have today uh icbms and silos particularly in the midwest and the dakotas in the united states with soldiers down at those silos uh Oh, head trigger alert, ready to push the button and send uh, a missile towards China or to, to Russia. You have uh, missiles, and the missiles today are much, much more powerful. Uh, you have missiles on, on submarines. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, just waiting to be launched. Here's a piece. Let me find it quick. Uh, this is a piece in a, in a very middle of the road, the National Interest publication. This is last year. Talks about the Ohio-class submarines. And if you go up the Thames River into New London, of course, the uh, uh, electric boat builds these uh, mm-hmm. submarines. You'll see them. And uh, here it says, the weapons they carry may be the most destructive weapon systems created by humankind. Uh, each of the 170-meter-long vessels can carry 24 Trident II submarine-launched ballistic missiles. As the Trident II re-enters the atmosphere at speeds up to Mach 24, it splits into eight independent re-entry, uh, uh, re-entry vehicles. A full salvo from an Ohio-class submarine to be launched in, a, in less than a minute can unleash up to 192 nuclear warheads to wipe 24 cities off the maps. This God. is a nightmarish, nightmarish weapon. This is the national standard weapon of the apocalypse. Uh, 
you know, it just how many of those do we need, right? One, really, one, but, one would be enough. One but, is too but, much. In, indeed, in terms of nuclear weapons, and one being enough, there was, this is just an important treaty, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And it was adopted at the United Nations in 2017. And it was entered into force just a week ago. On January 22nd, it entered into force. And what it did, does is forbid uh, the, uh, obviously the use, the, the production, the uh, over and it, it, it bans nuclear weapons. It's the kind of thing that was done after World War I with chemical warfare, after the horrific uh, toll of lives. In, in okay, Europe, right. Nations got together and they put together treaties to ban the use of, to put that genie Certain weapons. Back. Yeah. Uh, but um, the United States has not gone along at all with this, and all, all the other major weapons countries, England and and Russia and China haven't signed on. Many nations in the world have now signed on to this nuclear weapons uh, ban treaty. Uh, but again, this this is the kind of thing we uh, we uh, we face. Well, this is where we are today, and and literally, um, I'd, I'd like you to talk about the doomsday clock because again, it's not just history we're talking about. It's where are we today? Yeah. Well, the the bulletin of atomic scientists. This is two years ago, 2020, set the doomsday clock, which they define as nuclear annihilation. They set it 100 seconds to midnight, and midnight is, is what they, well, it's, it's doomsday. Uh, this year, just a few weeks ago, this year it was kept at 100 seconds to midnight, and this year, again, it was kept to 100 seconds to midnight, this is the closest to midnight to nuclear annihilation that this doomsday clock, uh, uh, this was a, a project of a nuclear scientists. Right. So they, they know the situation right. uh, has ever been since it was created in 1947. That is not exactly good news, but um, I think it's important for people to know it. You know, you, you're um, you're telling people things that uh, are are true and are, are frightening, uh, and yet, in some ways, people feel there's an answer if they can get other if they can get countries on board. But it, it's it's quite a, it's quite a tough uh, a battle. Uh, you haven't given it up. You just uh, doubled down by putting out this book and letting people know um, this. This is our past, but it's it's our present, and hopefully we'll have a future if if we don't screw it up. Um, I would ask you. I think I'm looking for a little light here. Uh, being being a teacher, being a professor, I think has to give you some confidence in the future generation. Is 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 that a source of of optimism for you? Do you think? Um, we all are looking for some some hope that things will not get worse but get better. I wish I could say yes. I wish. Oh, I'm only getting a wish. Well, uh, but but it, it's well, like these days, the counterpart to, in my view, Doctor Strangelove, the movie How I Learned to Love the Bomb, this important movie, right? Uh, you know, decades ago, 
His counterpart is a film called Don't Look Up. Very timely. Yes, very timely reference. It's on Netflix, and uh, Leo, Leo DiCaprio did the movie because he feels there's a uh, important issues. He's particularly concerned about climate change and, and nuclear power and nuclear weapons not taken seriously. And the movie, I don't want to give away the plot, but he tries to warn the president of the United States. He tries to, to get on media and warn media about, um, uh, you know, the, the, this, this, the plot is a comet. He's a place an astronomer is heading towards the Earth and yes. find it, discover it. And they try to say, hey, this comet has to be somehow uh, pushed from Deflected, its... right. It would right. be as big as the one that wiped out the dinosaurs and, and nobody wants to listen. Everyone wants, everybody wants good news. They want to laugh it off. It's a wonderful exactly. movie. It's a great movie. It's on Netflix and everybody. But I asked my students last week, how many you guys have seen Don't Look Up? Because it's kind of a metaphor. Yeah. Time in terms of these urgent, that is a word we use these days, existential issues. Yes. And 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 none of the students had, uh, had seen Don't Look Up. And it's on Netflix. It's not on. Um, yes, I'm amazed. And it's got a great cast. Yeah. And years ago, well, like taking commercial television the day after was yes. on C television. Yeah. But this is, I mean, a lot of people get Netflix, but it isn't, I, I don't know how many people will see, don't look up, but people need to understand that there's being, with, with oh, media so focused on kind of entertainment and yes. politics being what it is. Yes. Uh, we must demand we, from the grassroots that our political leadership, that people in media don't ignore these, these threats. To, that, that's why the film was made. And uh, again, maybe if lots of people would watch it, uh, they'd make these demands. That they would say no to, like, for example, with nuclear weapons. It begins with Obama, a modernization, a trillion, trillion dollar modernization of our nuclear arsenal. It's continued with Trump, who said, hey, we have these weapons, why don't we use them? And it's continued now with, with our current president, Joe Biden. I mean, we should not be blowing a trillion dollars on improving nuclear weapons. We should do what our forefathers did nearly, uh, well, exactly almost a century ago when it came to chemical weapons, saying, no, this the, the, and the nuclear weapons, uh, frankly, given, I mean, that we're talking about unwinnable wars, apocalyptic destruction. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it, it's so wrong. It's so bad. And wait till it happens. We have to indeed look up. Yes. And realize this threat. And speak up. I think that's what you're what you're doing here, and I think the movie does too. But um, maybe what they what they tried to do very cleverly was be entertaining in showing how people only want to be entertained. And they, they really have a, a great uh, allegory there in people needing to know about climate change or anything that it could actually bring about annihilation. I, I think one of our catchphrases were, we don't want to be the first generation on earth to be the last generation on earth, but we, you know, it's, it's stunning that it is a, a true capability. Um, so what you're, what you're doing, um, I think is, is so important. And 
I have to say, if you're going to recommend a book, you want it to be a readable book. This book is very readable. And there's so much more I wish we could talk about. We may have to come back another day and talk about uh, Levittown and racism on Long Island and the amazing threads that you've drawn through history because uh, there's still, still so many echoes today that we could all learn from. So I, uh, I do want to say that there's, there's got to be some hope. If, if you're watching uh, Netflix and, and don't look up, I, I think we're all trying to figure out the best way to, to get the message out to people. And uh, I just I hope they hear it, and I hope they understand every citizen has a role to play in this. Yeah. It's, it's, our, it's our planet. It's, it's our, <laughs> our family's future. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. And I hope everyone keeps reading and and listening to your, your wise words. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Susan. All right. Take care.